Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. So, it was the combined forces of the other priest kings of Nehekara. Ah, well, uh, really, their armies, as is always the way, that took on the uh, great necromancer, Nagash, then. How did they do? Obviously, I know the outcome, but uh, as a soldier, the details interest me. Ah, of that I've no doubt. Well, it was indeed a close-run thing, with both sides gaining and losing ground to the other in rapid succession. Lamia is of special note too, but uh, more on that later, as it directly affects the tale of Luther Harkin. Anyway, let's uh, take a few steps back first, before I delve into the uh, juicy details of the war, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, uh, but of course... There are a couple of things I feel are worth stating before I go on, as this particular era is fraught with conflicting accounts, misdirection and lies. Much of it, if you scratch below the surface, can be traced back to the unrivaled political acumen of Queen Neferata of Lamia, her allies, and, later, her complex web of spies and informants, each meticulously placed at all levels of Nehekaran society. This makes teasing out what did and did not happen and who was where, when and why extremely difficult. But that is not all though. Now, neophytes, as students of history, it is worth appreciating the following as well. In this telling, I am primarily relying on the exhaustive research of the Arabian scholar Ibn Jalaba. If you recall from earlier discussions, he was a man who had access to and could read many now lost Nehekaran scrolls that described the events of the insurrection from the time of the fighting itself. It is he, not I, that deserves all the praise for tying the many threads of information together into the narrative I now present to you. But also know this, I have since read accounts from other sources that retell the war of those days in broader strokes, which is fine, of course, but not only this, they also contain narratives that flow in different directions and have differing peaks and troughs. Disparities between historical accounts always begs the following question in we purveyors of the past, which is correct. That, however, is as difficult to answer as the great philosophical conundrum. What is the truth? Although, I actually do have an answer to that. In my opinion, the uh, truth is not better than simply a malleable belief, coloured by the times and people of each and every era. This means simply this. There is no one truth. There is simply my truth. 
your truth, his truth, and her truth. Oft they will be the same, but nearly as often they will also differ. And so, back to the question, which is correct? My answer follows the same logic. As Ibn used first-hand material, I feel that his version is probably the most accurate. But I will also include parts from uh, other sources that chime with Ibn's telling. This middle road is thus my truth. But from this and your own studies, you, young neophytes, must extract your own truth. Anyway, apologies. That explanation got a tad out of hand. But does uh, everyone get what I mean? Yes. Yes. Well, with that long-winded proviso out of the way, let us finally continue. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But I must remark before you do, Master Tavernkeeper, you truly are a uh, most diligent scholar. You should be working at the uh, highest levels of the uh, University of Altdorf with such uh, an attention to details and uh, a desire to both uh, learn and teach. <laughs> Why, uh, thank you, Heinrich. You truly know how to uh, charm a man. Ah, yeah, yeah, I pride myself on that. Years of experience, don't you know? Oh, uh, um, well, um, anyway, I really don't think I'd fit well in uh, the uh, University of Altdorf. That place is a hotbed of intrigue and sedition, and what with the current civil war, it's far too easy to find yourself in front of the wrong end of a dueling pistol for stating the uh, wrong viewpoint. Anyway, that institution is more a political entity now than an academic one. Let those with uh, more interested minds fill her halls. I'm happy to take my chances here in uh, Tobaro. At least the enemy is obvious, and it's easy to demarcate which side people are on. You're either with the Ratman or against them. Back in the Empire, why they don't even believe the Skaven exist. I think that is a, a good enough measure of the quality of their uh, higher education. Anyway, let us continue and get to those juicy war details you so much desire, Heinrich. Ah, yeah, yeah, please. I am uh, stiff visa anticipation. Hmm? I think, uh, I think you may have muddled up your idioms there, Heinrich. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll just uh, get to it, hey? Now, I'm going to begin by looking at the lay of the land at the start of the war. We will then go on to the disposition of the forces, and, finally, the conflict itself. I think that'll be an uh, easy way to uh, digest it all. Nehakara was a kingdom of two halves, neatly bisected by the world's edge mountains down its centre. Nagash's seat of power was the capital, Kemri, situated in the western half of the land, and it was the other nearby Nehakaran cities of Kasabar, Qatar, Bagar, and Numas, 
as well as Kemri itself, that had suffered the most during Nagash's reign. Those in the east, Marak, Lamia, Laibaras, and Lasetra, were linked to their brothers, or should I say their rivals, by the Charnel Valley, as it is known to us today. These had uh, felt the fell reach of the usurper far less harshly, and thus it was from these cities that the staunchest resistance to his rule came. This mountain pass also played its role in the war, and it is worth briefly discussing it before we move on to the other cities and their armies. The valley cuts its way through the intimidating World's Edge mountain range towards the southern end of the kingdom, just before the lay of the land becomes swallowed up completely by the jungle and the realms of the Lizardmen. At the time of the conflict, it had a different name, and was referred to as the uh, Valley of the Kings in the ancient scrolls of Nehekara. At the eastern entrance of the valley sits the city of Marak, about which we shall have much to say later. At its western entrance, known as the uh, Gateway of Eternity, lies Qatar. Today, its ruins are dominated by the uh, infamous Palace of Corpses, although at the time of Nagash, the beautiful alabaster used in its construction had earned it the moniker, the White Palace. Now, actually, whilst I'm here, I'll just mention this. During my time amongst the uh, Tuareg, those fearless nomads of the desert, if you recall, I had the pleasure of hearing the epic of Takamet. In this, the eponymous hero rode along the entire length of the Charnel Valley in a single night. And the, uh, the following extract from the poem gives as good a description as any of the uh, terrifying place. And with their bellies full of wine of the El Sorim, Takamet and Garam undertook a very foolish thing. Garam said he could ride all the way to dead Qatar before the golden dawn could banish away the stars. And so the two took to their mares, moonbeams on the path ahead, and bravado soothed away their cares as they entered the Valley of the Dead. The way was lined with colossal statues of mighty kings and gods, each stretching up to the top of the valley one thousand cubit rods. But these were no idle observers, for as one they began to roar, as the incantations of Sehenna's met brought the statues to life once more. Ride, ride, cried Garam in fear, and he began to curse and swear, as an ancient face loomed and leered, striking down both him and his mare. Takamet could not help his friend, and instead had to ride on, dodging past the blows of the constructs all night long. As dawn's light warmed to the horizon, he saw his goal in sight, straddled by a great stone guardian brought forth by the vizier's might. It was a blend of both lion and eagle that stalked down from the palace of the dead. Its stance, both fearsome and regal, its weapons and talons blood red. Takamet cursed the fool Garam as he pulled his exhausted mare away. As on came the many statues that lined the old causeway. They swarmed as one behind their god towards the valley's mouth and Takamet swore to never again drink the wines of the far south. So, neophytes, 
Before you bombard me with questions, let me just attempt to uh, preemptively answer them. In the poem, it referred to someone called Sehenesmet. He is the vizier of Qatar, a tomb king, one of the undead. It is still he that rules over the city today. Both the city and the valley are dominated by towering statues, representing the gods and mighty kings of Nehekaria's glorious past. Sehenesmet himself has been responsible for a good deal of these, and cares for them with meticulous devotion. He is unrivaled in his skills, and has even refined his magic to allow him to raise skeleton workers to aid him in his task. It is also he who inscribed the mighty monoliths that can be seen from afar and guard the entrance to the Valley of the Kings in the West. Additionally, according to the Tuareg, he has developed his magical incantations so as to bring his statues to life, as we uh, heard in the poem. Please remember this for later. Anyway, the most famous and feared of these is a great half-eagle, half-lion, that guards Qatar itself, and who also featured in Takamet's tale. The role of these constructs is to stop anyone from passing through the valley, although the Tuareg hero was actually successful, as you heard. It did cost him the life of his uh, childhood friend Garam, though. Right then, I think that is enough on the Charnel Valley. Do you have any further questions, anybody? Ah, no, no. I think we are all uh, good. Yeah? Excellent. Well, next on to the cities and their armies themselves. But before that, a drink, methinks.